0: All right, I need everybody, this is non negotiable, everybody to grab their phones. I need everybody to text 951 425 4425. We have a poll. This is a live poll. We're going to see the results in a couple seconds. You have to do this, or else you can't leave. Listen, text the word question to 951 425 4425. All right, go ahead and do that right now. Even if right now you're thinking, I'm not gonna do it, he's not gonna point at me, he's not gonna, I'm gonna call you out if I don't see activity right now with your hands on the phone, okay? The question is, are you brave enough to invite a stranger into your home for a meal? You're gonna see the results on the side screens coming in live so far. There's only two Christians in the church, three. Three in the church. Here are the options. Yes, bring on the casserole. Maybe if they look safe-ish, Sorry, friends and family only, and never, haven't you learned, stranger danger. So go ahead and text the word question to 951-425-4425. All right, got 100 or so in, let's see. All right, so we've got 13 people that need to be convinced, 14 that need to be convinced, no, all strangers carry machetes. They are not allowed in my house. This is why we're taught this as children, and it's to keep us safe, all right, so that's okay. After that, we've got people that, hey, I love opening up my home, but to friends and family only. Then we have some brave people saying, bring on the casserole, any stranger, anytime. I don't even lock my doors at night, come steal it all. And then, most people, about 50%, say, all right, I'm willing to do this, but they have to look safe. You don't want me to be on the news at the end of the night, right? They have to at least look safe, all right? So that's, that's where we're all at, at right today. So the series we are starting today is called The Simplest Way to change the world. You're thinking, change the world? (laughs) I couldn't even get my kids to clean up their breakfast dishes. How am I gonna change the world? If they won't listen to me, who's gonna listen to me? Well, we can change the world right from home. The problem is we're convinced that all of God's mission happens outside of the home. Right, it just happens out there and then I come home to rest. But today we're going to be reminded that we already have access to a game-changing secret weapon that we can use to be a part of God's kingdom. And it's not scary and it's completely safe and it's our home. And so let's start out today by talking about how just a small change in our lives can make a big change in our community. Now the mission that we're given in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, it's big. Right, going to all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Well, that's huge. And sometimes with a big mission, a big problem, we say, well, that's for other people because what could I do to put a dent into that? The mistake we make, it's thinking that if our contribution is going to be big enough to make a difference, it has to be big, dramatic, right, huge. Then we can participate in it. But in God's kingdom, we don't see that math playing out. In God's kingdom, it's not big makes big. It's quite the opposite. Small makes big because God loves to use the weak and small things of the world to confound the wise, to be a big part of his kingdom. And we see this in the scriptures. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says this. It says, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field though it is the smallest of the seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. So the birds come and perch in its branches. We see that it's just a small seed that can have a large and lasting impact. This is throughout the Bible. Let me read to you a quote from Sky Jethani talking about this. He says, consider God's plan to redeem creation. That's big. It's achieved through his incarnation as an impoverished baby, literally small. Jesus feeds thousands on a hillside, big, with just a few fish and loaves, small. Christ seeks to make disciples of all nations, big, and he starts with a handful of fishermen, small. Even Goliath, big, is defeated by David with a few stones, that's small. God loves to do this because when we partner with the Lord, our small contribution can actually make a difference, and God ends up getting the glory, not us. And so, it's the same in our lives. The smallest of the things that we do can have an impact. Ordinary days, ordinary meals, Ordinary homes can have a big impact in our community and in people's lives because ordinary doesn't mean insignificant. Those are different words. And we're caught sometimes thinking the ordinary mundane things of life aren't the big moments of faith, but they can be just that if we'll allow it. So what's the small change that we can make to make a big difference? It's hospitality. Be hospitable. Three years ago, my wife and I just made a small change to our schedule, and I bring this up from time to time whenever people aren't signing up, but but three years ago, we said, let's just make Sunday afternoons a time where we invite anybody at Cornerstone that wants to come over for a meal. We just want to get to know them. And so about 40 weekends a year, we do this. People go on our website. They click the Join the Deans for Lunch button, and we have no idea who's coming over until we open the door. We, We have their name. But we really don't know if we attach that name to a face that we've been smiling to. Talk about strangers. You got, I mean, so, And, and we open the door, and we're like, oh, hey, we know you, or hey, let's get to know you. And, and we let them in. And this small change, just three years ago being consistent, and it has led to almost 500 people at Cornerstone being able to come over our house. Now, half of those are in bigger settings, like a pool party or a breakfast that we do at our house, but most of them are in groups of two families or two singles at a time, and we just slowly get to know people for a few hours, and it's been fantastic. We've really enjoyed this time. But it's actually led to big change. It's made a bigger church feel smaller for us and our family. It's led to our kids having good friends here in the church. We've hired two pastors that we met at our house that came over for a meal. We've launched, I think, three ministries because as we got to know people in smaller settings and saw their spiritual gifts, we realized that we have enough people now to launch this new class or this new ministry. It's leading to change. And for us, it was just saying, Sunday afternoons aren't off limits, it's not ours. That's gonna be a church family time. And it's been great for our family. But what exactly is biblical hospitality? What, what is it? Well, the original word that we see five times in the New Testament for hospitality, it just means love for strangers, love for strangers. It's the opposite of xenophobia, fear of strangers. Society has conditioned us that all strangers want to hurt you right? I don't know their name. They must desire harm towards me and my family. And until they prove otherwise, they're not getting anywhere near me. Well, listen, that's just not true. We need to have discernment. We need to be wise. But this definition really isn't talking about strange people or, or even, even the, the community that is homeless that we think, well, that might be dangerous depending on what's going on there to invite them into our homes. Maybe, maybe not. It's actually talking about anyone who is outside of your home and family. So the strangers that we are to love could be neighbors that we either know their names or we know their faces for years, and we see them and we wave on the way to the mailbox, but that's about it. We talk a little bit, but we haven't invited them into our homes and into our lives. And that's really what hospitality is, welcoming others into our homes and into our lives. Romans 15, 7 is a great verse to give us this heart, and it says this, Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. And so it's not just welcome people into our lives, but we do that in the way that Christ has welcomed us. And keep in mind, we learn in the Gospels that Jesus didn't have a house. And yet, who's more hospitable than Jesus? I think we have 30 different accounts in the New Testament of Jesus having a meal with someone. And he was able to have hospitality even without a house. It's just a fundamental attitude towards human beings, right? When I, when I see other people, I'm not going to automatically just try and make it, you know, you know, as comfortable as possible and just not talk to them and turn. Like I, I know I was conditioned in New Jersey in an elevator. You don't talk to other humans unless you want their wallet. You just don't do that. And so I get into an elevator and I smile enough so that I'm not the guy stealing the wallet and then I'm ready if they try and steal my wallet. You know, people in Texas don't do that. They talk to other people. It's really odd. It's really weird. I was caught off guard by it. This guy really wants my wallet because he's talking to me. He's lulling me into complacency to get my wallet. No, they're just nicer. I wasn't conditioned for this in New Jersey. Henry Nouwen calls hospitality creating a space for a stranger to become a friend. That doesn't have to mean the stranger on the side of the road, but it could be the stranger in your neighborhood that you've been seeing for years but haven't invited them in to your life. Hebrews 13, chapter 2, is our command. It says, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. We have one example in the Old Testament of Abraham showing hospitality to what looked like people, and it ended up being messengers from God, and so maybe it's referencing that. But the, the, the idea there is, we should be hospitable people And sometimes it's even a test from the Lord if we're going to be hospitable. The command doesn't say, set you and your family up for dangerous situations that are unwise. It doesn't say that. But sometimes we take that nervousness and we go to the extreme about it and we cut off other people. Rosaria Butterfield wrote a fantastic book on hospitality called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And here's what she says. Radically ordinary hospitality characterizes those who don't fuss over different worldviews represented at the dinner table. The truly hospitable aren't embarrassed to keep friendships with people who are different. They don't buy the world's issue with this. They know that there's a difference between acceptance and approval, and they courageously accept and respect people who think differently from them. They don't worry that others will misinterpret their friendship. Jesus dined with sinners, But he didn't sin with sinners. There's a difference between those things. And who cares if other people are gonna judge us when Jesus made it so obvious that we should be hanging out with those that are far from God, that the religious leaders thought poorly of Jesus. I wanna be on the side of Jesus in this. And so this is an amazing thing. Her her whole thesis basically in this book is that we wanna turn strangers into neighbors and we wanna turn neighbors into the family of God. And we're not responsible whether or not someone chooses the Lord or not, but we create a space that is so safe for them that they know that they are loved, that they can ask some amazing spiritual questions to us. Now, God's hospitality towards us, it's revealed his love for us. The Bible is full of examples that God is hospitable to us. That's where it all starts with the Lord. Right after he created mankind, we see the hospitality and love of the Lord in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I'm going to give to you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit and seed within it, this will be yours God comes across as a gracious host in this passage. He creates human and then he gives them everything that they need to thrive and succeed in the world. He's like, it's all yours. This is a picture of, I know when people come over our house, if it were up to me, you would never get a drink of water, uh, a LaCroix or a soda, not because I'm being stingy or I like hoard water in my house. I just don't think about it. And then my sweet wife comes along and she goes, what would you like to drink? I'm like, yes. People will be thirsty for three hours if they don't have water. Good thinking, sweetie. And she's trying to get our kids to ask that question, and it's sweet when they do that, and you can't understand what they're saying because they're whispering so much. But, you know, it, it's, it's that attitude of the Italian grandmother. manja, manja, eat, eat. What do you need? What can I send you home with? I can't send you home empty-handed. That's how God is portrayed in this passage. And yet, right away in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve sinned and chose to reject the hospitality of God and instead started hiding from Him. They used to walk with Him, now they're hiding from God. So what did God do? He sought them out, even though they were undeserving and against Him at that moment, and He covered their shame. But how is God going to continue to be hospitable if He can't dwell with evil? Well, immediately after their sin, we have the first messianic prophecy of this coming Messiah, Jesus, who's going to save the world, who's going to make everything right and enable a permanently good relationship with God for those that repent and believe. And in the meantime, the sacrificial system is set up temporarily to cover people's sins so we can continue to relate to our holy God. God's plan included raising up a nation. In Genesis chapter 12, he calls Abraham to leave his familiar country and go somewhere as a step of faith. And he says this in verse 2, I'll make you into a great nation, and I'm going to bless you. Make your name great, and you will be a blessing to all the nations. All the nations of the earth are going to be blessed because of you. God's goal was to to raise Israel up in such a way where they were so blessed, they would be a lighthouse to the rest of the world and Israel's hospitality would would reach the world as people came to God through them. They They didn't really do that very well, but God's ultimate plan still happens because the story culminates with the ultimate act of hospitality, God sending his own son, to take our burdens, to take our sins and make a right relationship for us with the Lord, for all who believe on him. We see this in Romans chapter five. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't deserve it at all, and yet we received undeserving hospitality. And we have a relationship with God even right now. We're invited to have meals with God. We call it communion. As we remember the Lord and the relationship we have with Him because of Jesus, We've got meals we have with the Lord now, and there's an ultimate meal that we have in the future. In Revelation 19.9. it's called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's something we can all look forward to in heaven one day as we actually sit at a table with Jesus and each other and celebrate God's goodness together. And God did all of this so we could live eternally with him in his home. The end of the story for believers in Jesus is this. In Revelation 21... It says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. The Bible starts with God creating a home for humanity in a garden, and the Bible ends with God creating a home for believers in a city. God wants to dwell with us. God loves us. He wants to be with us. He wants us to have a good relationship with our Maker. He wants us there. He's doing, the Bible says, everything that could be done, God is doing. He's initiating the relationship with us even though we're undeserving. He's chasing after wayward sinners and we would have no hope if it weren't for the persistence of God coming after us to show us his love and hospitality for us. So so how do we respond to knowing that God is hospitable and that's the only reason we're a part of his family? Well, we respond because our hospitality towards others reveals God's love for them. As we choose to embrace this idea of hospitality, it points other people, not to us, but to the love of God himself. And any time we practice hospitality by welcoming people into our lives, we put flesh on the good news. We put flesh on the gospel. I think I shared this story, but just a a week before uh, Valentine's Day, probably a day before Valentine's Day, I was taking the boys to CVS and I was trying to really hype up, you know, let's go all out for your mom and your sister and try and teach them, you know, kind of how to be a man in that regard of of just being over the top, loving towards women. And as we're outside of CVS, some guy said, "Um, hey, do you have any cash? Do you got any money? And I did, uh, the truth is, is that I just never have cash. I'd be happy if no one ever accepted cash ever again. I just never have cash. It's like, I'm all about Venmo, Cash App, and all those different things. And I said that, and as I turned, I realized, I've just created a system where I will never give money to a homeless person ever again. And I understand the discernment you need to make sure the money doesn't go straight to alcohol and drugs and things like that. But I'm like, well, that doesn't seem right. So I turned back and said, listen, I don't have any cash, but I'm going into CVS. Why don't you grab a drink and a snack and I'll buy it for you. He's sure, follows us in. And, and we go in, the boys and I, we go get our Valentine's Day stuff. To be honest, I almost left and I forgot about him. But thankfully I remembered and I stopped and I went over and he, he picked out a really good drink and some organic snacks, like really good expensive organic snacks. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well I can feel good. This isn't like junk food. This is really good healthy stuff. He's going for it. I said I would buy it. He's getting the creme de la creme right here, good. And so I bought it for him and I said, hey, I'm so glad you asked and and just what you know, God loves you and God bless you. And he goes, yeah, God bless you. And I walk out and immediately I turn to my children and I start talking to them, why did daddy do that? And we talked about how, hey, when you guys are in the car, daddy's not going to pick up a stranger and put them in the car for your own safety. But this was a safe, situation where we could welcome people with the welcome of God himself. And they gave the typical pastor's kid answer, yeah, yeah, we know, dad, we know, we get it. Like, oh yeah, I forgot. forgot your perfection. I don't need to speak to you ever again. All right, no, probably already forgot it all. Listen, when we are hospitable, we are physically communicating the entire story of God for people, that their sin has separated them from God and from other people, caused this separation, but that God isn't done with them, that God still loves them. When we welcome people into our homes, we're saying God loves you and God is not done with you. We present the message with our actions well before we ever get a chance to share the gospel with our words. And so I think in a very real way, when we open the door to non-Christians, it's as if God is opening a door for them, showing that he is welcoming. It doesn't matter what they've done, doesn't matter if they're strange or if there's God is saying, I welcome you. I love you. I have a plan for you. And as Christians practice this repeatedly, our community changes, changes entirely. The quote I read earlier of Rosaria Butterfield, uh, she has one of the most amazing testimonies of her conversion that I've, uh, that I've ever read. She was living a life that was as far away from what you can imagine of someone who follows the Lord as it could be. She was a, a literature professor at a, at a university in Syracuse. She just got done writing an opinion piece for the newsletter uh, bashing this Christian ministry and a local pastor sent her a note in the mail and said, hey, I just, just want you to know I really appreciate what you said and, I, and I, it helped me to understand your position. My wife and I would love to have you over for a meal. This lady is in the middle of writing a book, basically how Christians are the worst people ever. And she goes, oh good, free research. I'll get some firsthand stories of how rotten Christians are. She comes into the home and receives the gift of hospitality in a way that is shocking. And she says, he forgot to do the two things that Christians always do, he broke the rules. He didn't share the gospel with me and he didn't invite me to his church. Instead, I got a hug from him and his wife, and his wife gave me a kiss on the cheek. And they said, this was fun. We should do this again next week. And she did. And she felt like she wasn't a project or uh, something to be won, a victory to be had. She felt like maybe they really do want to be friends with me. And it was two years until she decided to go to his church But almost weekly, she came into his home and she started saying, i got to read the Bible if I'm going to be writing a a book on this. And, And her mind began to be changed because of the slow, loving hospitality of this godly couple that didn't do anything fancy, they had to have other people over the same time because you only have so much capacity for hospitality. So she got to see how they related to other people. She asked them questions and she gave her life to the Lord. And now she, she writes these amazing Christian books like the gospel comes with a house key. I mean, she put it all on the line and had to, had to share at her university publicly in front of all the students, her newfound faith in Jesus, even though she knew that would come back against her at the liberal university she was at. But it was slow hospitality that changed her if anyone saw her leaving that home they'd say what are you doing eating with that sinner but these people knew the heart of Jesus and said of course I'm eating with anyone of anyone who wants to come in my house because God is a welcoming God and it changed this woman's life and it changes everything if our church would commit to the simple change of being biblically hospitable for just for one year our whole valley would change It's a lot less nerve-wracking than than going up to a stranger and handing them a a gospel tract or a Bible or, or saying, hey, I wanna invite you to church, but I don't know who you are, I don't know your story. Takes a lot more time to value people and get to know them. It's also a lot less scary. Doesn't have to be to the entire stranger that we reach out to. We know a lot of people that are really strangers in our lives that are craving relationships that we can reach out to. Here's the potentially scary truth about our role in representing God. When we don't practice hospitality, we don't tell the truth about God. People begin to to see us being cold, separated, and distant, and they assume that God is cold, separated, and distant. That's the scary truth. But when we are warm, loving, and gracious to the undeserving, they start wondering, maybe God hasn't given up on me. Maybe there's still hope for me. Maybe not all Christians are like that Christian that really hurt me in the past or that I see advertised out there. And everything can change. Something that's so important for us to remember is that God never gets our address wrong. You gotta believe, it doesn't matter how much your neighbors bother you, God has placed you in that neighborhood. And there's a time to move for different reasons, but if God has placed you in a neighborhood, he has called you to be a witness in your community. One of the best ways that we can do that, one of the simplest ways that we can do it is to invite people into our homes and into our lives. And just like Jesus didn't have a house, it doesn't have to happen in your house, although you're probably gonna be fine if it does. You can invite people out to a coffee shop. You can say, hey, let's meet at the park and get our, get our families together. You can linger a little bit longer at the mailbox and ask some great questions. And next week, we're gonna talk about how do you actually meet your neighbors And the following week? What are the obstacles that, that we all think are the reasons why we can't do hospitality? We're gonna cover all of those things, but it's so important. My family and I have decided to add something called neighbor nights to our routine. And we're starting, we're starting monthly in doing this. I'm hoping it'll be a little bit more frequent, although it's the first time my wife's hearing that uh, right now. But maybe one day it'll be weekly in the future if we have capacity. But so we, we, we're continuing what we do on Sundays, 40 weekends out of the year, getting to know Cornerstone, because you are definitely in the stranger category. Now we want to get to know you, but also we want to meet our actual neighbors. And I feel like we can do better at that. And so one Thursday a month, the whole month we're kind of aiming towards get to know people and invite them over on that Thursday. Now we did that once out of the first two months out of the year, but hey, you didn't do a lot of your New Year's resolutions either in January, okay? But this Thursday would be our second one, and so we're hoping to be two out of three, and those are good, good odds. But we had a sweet couple and their, their child over this, pa- uh, this past month. They've been through tremendous pain and hurt, and just to hear their story and get to know them more, I can't wait to have them over again. And if I don't meet anybody new, then they'll be, they'll be getting another invite instead of meeting someone new. So neighbor nights are how we're going to do this, but we have a church-wide challenge as well, and it's simple, but it's terrifying. Here's the church-wide challenge over the next three weeks. Learn one new neighbor's name and invite them over or out to a coffee or a meal. We can do this. We can do this. This This is for everybody. It's obvious I'm an extrovert, but this is for all of us Hey, if you're you're an introvert, then make sure you balance the rest of your time so that you have those recharging moments so that you can reach out with biblical hospitality to those around you because people are desperate for it. And it will be absolutely life-changing if we embrace this challenge. And we want to know about it, so text the word neighbor to our church number and let us know how it went. You'll also be taken to a new neighbor page on our website that gives little five-minute reads, uh, has great book recommendations about hospitality and, and free videos you can watch on Right Now Media all about hospitality because this is so important. We want to make it a part of our culture here. And so, Father, would you help us to do this? It's, uh, you've got to break down that idea in our mind that all strangers are dangerous. Uh, and maybe for some, their first step is, is inviting them out to coffee so they can leave safely and nobody knows where they live, Lord. But for others, it is inviting people into their home. And so, Holy Spirit, give us discernment to know who to talk to and who not to talk to in a moment. We always need your help and your guidance and protection, Lord. But help us to overcome any fears we have and look at the hospitality of God that has happened for thousands of years and, and realize we are called to be hospitable. And we're going to have some really different people over our homes and into our lives. And we're going to learn to love them, not make them a project, to be patient, but to create a space where a stranger can become a friend. Help us to do that, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you this morning. Please come forward for prayer if you need it, and we'll see you the next two weeks to finish this series. God bless.